You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I need everybody's attention. I have a huge announcement to make. Okay, I just thought that's how I would get your guys' attention for this podcast because, again... We have another great podcast. By the way, my name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today we're going to be talking with Ben Gatoramson from ASAT Camo. And he's going to talk to us about absolutely everything you need to know about their company. And this is a real good one. I feel like I'm on a roll with uh, the gold tip one. Learned a lot of information about arrows. And I think you guys are going to learn a lot of information, not only about ASAC camo, but a little bit about how camouflage is marketed in general. So it's not necessarily the the design and engineering portion of it, but you also get a glimpse into the actual marketing of a hunting product especially camo in this episode so hopefully you guys found are going to find it as enjoyable as i did Um, i love doing this as you guys can tell again make sure you guys are staying all the way to the end of the recording and listening because ben and the asac crew are offering up a giveaway and the only way you can find it is listen all the way to the end. And uh, they're going to be giving away some product. And you have to listen to the end to find out how to be entered. Other than that, not too much to say. Hopefully everybody's having a great week. And uh, I never understood why they call it hump day when most humping is done on the weekend. <laughs> That's my attempt at a joke. It failed horribly. I'm sorry. So with that, let's get right into the podcast. All right, on the phone with me now is Ben Gatoramson. I hopefully hopefully I said that right. And yep, you, uh, you got it. He is with ASAT Camo and today he's going to talk to us a little bit about that uh their uh their gear there. And um how you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It sounds like uh, you're on the road today traveling from uh one uh one state to the next. Yeah, I was I was out on the uh the west coast here uh 
uh, along the I-5 corridor between Portland and uh, in Seattle, stopped in, talked to some dealers. Um, it's the industry life, man, living on the road. It's uh, it's it's fun at the same time. It it can be a drag, but it's uh, it's what you got to do. So, so before we get into talking about ASAT, tell me a little bit about how your season went. Were you successful? What'd you kill? Um, I had a pretty good year this last season. Um, I. Uh, you know, and I, I don't base that off of uh, anything more than time spent. But, I, I mean, from the, you know, the way you look at it, a lot of people look at, you know, harvesting an animal or taking a, uh, you know, a deer, an elk, whatever, as a successful season. Uh, every season to me is a success. But I I, uh, I, I could say I I kind of stacked them up this year, for, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I hunted uh, uh, three states this year. I hunted uh, Idaho. I hunted Montana. And I did a bunch of scouting um, through the summer for some new uh, new hunting areas in in Idaho and in Montana. Um, I got I got married in the in the summer. I got married in June, um, and then uh, my wife and I started uh, started scouting. She loves to camp. She loves to be in the outdoors and stuff. I uh, I'm really really fortunate uh, for that. And I think every weekend after our marriage, we were in the hills somewhere trying to glass up, you know, elk and deer. And in Idaho, uh, my, uh, I, w- I was able to take a, uh, a really nice six point, uh, it grossed, uh, grossed just over 340, um, in Idaho. And that was on their opening day. And it was a bull that I had, uh, you know, in an area that I'd scouted hard all summer. And then, uh, I moved on to a, a new area in Montana after filling that tag and uh, was fortunate enough to get on a, you know, another area that, that had a, a good number of bulls and, and was able to take a three thirty bull um, oh, nice. in Montana. So um, I, I never had set a goal of, of trying to eclipse like a thousand inches in a year, but partway through the season, I was like, this could happen. Um, Prior to our elk season in Montana, I took a, a nice antelope with a bow, um, about a 14-inch goat. Um, nothing, nothing huge, but good length. You know, not not terribly good mass, but it was a good representation of the species. And um, I was happy to fill that tag. Antelope was one of my favorite animals as far as table fare goes. Um, and then, you know, transpiring after elk season, um, I uh, I spent quite a bit of time you know, helping friends get on bulls. And, uh, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, come out, he's in high school still, and he's just kind of getting into archery. And I took him out for a weekend in, uh, in October, uh, first weekend in October and, uh, was able to put a, a big bull in front of him. I mean, he didn't, he didn't end up getting a shot, but I mean, you know, seeing somebody's first experience close quarters with a, a good bull, like a nice six point bull. I mean, it's, there's there's nothing like it. I get I get as much enjoyment out of seeing the eyes of him because I I looked at him as this bull crossed the hill above us and his eyes were just huge and his mouth was <laughs> wide open and he he just completely like you know brain brain like went completely blank. He didn't know what to do, didn't know how to do it, you know, and and everything. And then um, as the season progressed, I made it back to the Midwest. I hunted uh, Indiana. <clears throat> and uh, I was able to to shoot a, a decent deer in Indiana. It, it wasn't the biggest one around, but I, I shot that buck 
from the ground. Um, I used a, a product called the Heads Up Decoy. Um, and what it is is it's a, it's a deer decoy that mounts to your bow. And I had the, the buck version of this decoy. And I was able to get on the downwind side of a bedded buck with uh, that had a doe that it was tending. It was the second week in November. And I popped this decoy up at about 50 yards. And the buck stood up out of its bed and immediately started posturing, um, pawing at the ground. He worked back and forth to the left and to the right. And I had the wind directly from him to me, so there was no way he was going to smell me. But as this buck moved in, he kind of he'd get closer each time, and he ended up coming into 25 yards, and I was able to make a, a good clean shot on him right from the ground. That was That's one of the coolest whitetail experiences that uh, that I've ever had, so... Were your um, were your elk with uh, with a bow too, or did you? Use everything your... is everything is archery. Um, nice. I I I personally right now uh, the only firearms that I own are sidearms. I do a lot of hunting in grizzly bear country, and I have a uh, uh, you know an AR platform two two three for um, that I use for uh, you know varmint and and stuff like that coyotes. Um, and actually I was, I was able to get my wife out this year toward the end of our season here in Montana. And she took a beautiful deer, a uh, beautiful mule deer with that rifle in, in Montana. The, the 223 caliber is legal for, for big game. And, uh, uh, she made an awesome shot at, uh, about a little over 200 yards with that, with that gun. And it's, it's one of the oldest mule deer that I've ever seen on the ground in front of me. Um, he had, Four front teeth was all. Oh boy! Um, his 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 molars were uh, literally worn down to the gums. Um, I actually saved both of his lower jaws and, and the remaining front teeth. Uh, uh, I'm gonna send him into a lab and have him uh, have him aged to see uh, exactly how old he is, just because he's he's so old. So. So that's that's kind of how my season went. Uh, you know, and I didn't even include any of the spring stuff. Um, I, I hunt turkeys pretty avidly in the spring um, in Montana, and I, I made a trip back to the Midwest. And uh, we've got a spring bear season in Montana that's that's a lot of fun. It starts uh, starts in mid-April, and it it uh, goes all the way, uh, depending on the area in the state. There's areas in the state that go till the middle of June. So, so it sounds like so you had a successful season. Yeah, no, I, I spent plenty of time in the field, um, and and that's in in my in, in my opinion, I feel like that's the that's the way that you succeed in any season is is just time of field. And uh, this year, as far as that goes, and you know, I've I've got some white-tailed doe spots, you know, locally right around my house. I was able to fill six white-tailed doe tags with archery equipment, and so I mean, I got I've got no complaints. There's nothing like you know, getting off of work you know, being 30 minutes out to your spot, getting in a tree stand with 20 minutes to spare. And then the, the deer just start filing by you. That's always fun. So <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, my goal is to get out West more because I'm located out of Iowa. My goal, I, I went out to Idaho this past year for elk and uh, spent most of the time in a tent because it was raining so much. But uh, sure. like you said, I call it a success just because it was something I've I've never done before. New, new scenery, new, you know, I'm I, and I always tell everybody, I'm I'm a flatlander. So I was in fl I was in shape, but for flatland, 
you flatland can't, shape, right? I was in flatland <laughs> shape because you can't you, there, you can't simulate those mountains, man. I I tried climbing up them. You know, I'm like, all right, here we go. We'll see how much my training paid off. First hill. <gasps> yep. So. Yeah, that, that's in there, man. It gets to you. So I've I've got. I'm originally from the Midwest, so I can relate to that. And when I first moved out here, I was in. You know, it's it's a it's a period to to adjust to the higher altitude. And in Bozeman, where I live, where where I think we're just under five thousand feet. Um, <clears throat> so it's. It's an adjustment, and I have I have friends and uh, family that come out from the Midwest on occasion and, and come out to hunt with me, and they're running and um, you know doing all kinds of stuff to get in shape. And, and I'm out here in Montana, and you know I'm so busy a lot of times I'm I'm behind a desk most of the time, so I don't I don't have the opportunity to to do a lot of that stuff, or or I guess I should say I just don't choose to do a lot of that stuff. But they come out and they still have trouble keeping up with me. I I guess I'm I'm gifted in that regard but i mean i'm not the fastest guy on the mountain by any means but it's it's amazing somebody that's in shape you know at a lower elevation can come out and i don't consider myself in in tip-top shape by any means but uh i mean even in shape people when they move when they come out here it's 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 different for sure that's right well we better start talking about this with this being a, a gear podcast why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at uh, at ASAT, and then talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, company history, how long the company's been around, a little bit of background there. Okay, well, um, as far as what I do at ASAT, I uh, I kind of do a little bit of everything, or you know, I, I could say I do a lot of everything too. But I'm uh, I'm handling a lot of the the marketing and the media. Uh, as far as the, you know, the, the photography you see on our website, a lot of the photos are photos that I've taken on hunts or photos my wife has taken while she's been out with me. Um, I do um, pretty much all the sales for the company. Uh, myself and the owner of the company, Rob, kind of share that. Uh, he has his relationships within the industry. I have mine, and we uh, we both kind of, you know, work together on that. And then, uh, you know, the 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 rest of the stuff the production the design a lot of that stuff I'm dealing with uh, our Asian suppliers on a pretty regular basis and I'm also uh, you know handling a lot of the the design stuff so if we need a a piece to be tweaked whatnot uh, I'm working with either a, a designer or the manufacturer to make sure that that happens on our finished product so and and currently with ASAP we've got we're kind of in an overhaul phase right now. I guess that's been around a long time, but right now the products that we have are a little bit dated. And with the new products that we're coming out with, we're going to see, you know, we're going to, we're going to jump ourselves right into that highly technical gear that, that you see a lot of these other manufacturers like Sitka or first light, you know, some of our partners in the industry are making. So. Yeah. I've noticed a trend in that respect throughout the industry where a lot of these, companies are that have been strictly camo patterns are now have, having to keep up with the you know like what you mentioned the sikas the first lights the kuyus and and start turning the a new leaf into actual gear you know and i, I yep. noticed that you guys have a base layer mid layer outer mm-hmm. layer type of um lay, uh setup but we'll that we'll get into in a little bit but how how long has asap been around well, ASAT 
started in the mid eighties. Um, ASAT came out initially offering to the public uh, the same year that tree bark. And a lot of people are familiar with tree bark uh, because it's still kind of a vintage retro thing that I believe it's mossy oak kind of offers some of the, the tree bark looking patterns. And in, in that developmental stage, ASAT was one of the first to that direct to consumer, you know, designed specifically for hunting. Um, before that, the plaids were popular for hunting or military fatigues were very popular. The hunting industry didn't, didn't have a market for camouflage. Basically everything had, had predated that came from like military stuff. So 86, I think is the, the trademark year. Um, and as far as the pattern goes over 10,000 hours went into the development of the pattern and that's with testing and, you know, design and trying to find, and, and all of the research that was done was based on experiences. It wasn't based on, uh, what somebody thought animals saw. It was based on that animal looked at me and looked away without noticing my presence, without noticing my shape. So, um, you know, a little bit of background on that. I mean, to give a guy a, an idea, if you work a 40-hour-a-day job and you work all year, you're, you've worked for 2,080 hours. So a team of five people worked for an entire year to look at this. I mean, from the developmental stage, a team of five people worked for an entire year. And has it been on, on, has it been the same pattern throughout <clears throat> since since eighty six? It has, yes. It has not changed. Um the the base tone in ASAT um on a color scale chart or, or um you know on a pantone chart, the the color it's a yellow band tan background. And it has the ability to naturally reflect uh the colors around it in a gray scale. So you don't see tone differences. You know, if you're, if you're in green habitat, RIC color. And when you look at that, it, it clashes with green, but in most cases, you know, I mean, animals typically don't have that, those cones in their eyes that, that are required to see color, at least scientific studies have shown. And I think that has a lot to do with how, that pattern works so well. Um, if you find the time and you jump on YouTube and you, you Google ASAT or you, you search ASAT camo on Google, there's a video, I believe it's just over seven minutes long and it was done shortly after the company launched and it basically goes into detail on how and why it's the colors it is and why it works. And it it will open your eyes to camouflages in general uh, this pattern is not appealing to to the human eye to look at because there's very little detail in it um, it looks like nothing that you would see in the field but what it does and and nobody can disagree with this and no no other camel on the market does it as well is, is it breaks up the shape of the human outline when you see somebody wearing ASAC camel in a picture at a distance, it can be it can be 50 yards, it can be 
10 yards. It can be 200 yards. It can be 1,000 yards. You don't see that head, shoulders, arms, the shape of a person. And that's how it works. It, it just it breaks that up, and I, I feel like that's where it, it gets its advantage from. And, and that's where it stands out in amongst the, you know, the other camel patterns that are available. So. Gotcha. Now you mentioned briefly about the, the camel pattern, not looking good to the human eye. And I want you to elaborate a little bit on that in regards to camel. There there are certain camels out there that are made to look good on a store rack and then there's camos out there that are designed to work in the field. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe in its, in its uh, younger stages, the, the market for hunting type camos is, um, you know, there, there came a point where they hit a fork in the road, you know, tree bark was, was an original ASAP was an original and then you have, you know, the, the, the Haas companies who came out with the Mossy Oak. And then you have the Jordan, you know, the, the Bill Jordan Realtree, that brand came out. And it was in a stage in, you know, in, in the existence, you know, the, the premature stages of Camel for Hunters that nothing had ever been marketed towards hunters. So now you have a broad spectrum of choices. And I feel like to market it to a hunter, to make it appealing to a hunter, it has to look good to a hunter. You know, a similar analogy would be, you know, the, the fishing lure that catches the fishermen. Not necessarily catches the fish, but catches the fishermen. So in in their progression, you know, the, the companies have marketed well and made their, their products appealing, I think, uh, Bill Jordan's Advantage or Realtree Advantage camel was an early one. And then, you know, the original Mossy Oak breakup, they had leaves and sticks and, and a lot of stuff like that. That looked good. It looked appealing. It looked like the environment that you'd be hunting in when you're up close. And, and what people didn't realize is that when you back up to even 10 feet, you lose that detail. And when you back up to 20 feet, the predominant colors within that pattern tend to overtake any detail. So what you get is you get a an object, a blob that looks like a solid color at 20, 30, or 40 yards, and when it's in the shape of a human, that's where you you get the uh, you know the, the negative impact of 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 an animal because their their vision isn't based on detail. Anything that's close to them, they have an extraordinary sense of smell. So when it comes to food, they're not looking for the right kind of leaf to eat. Like our eyes, we can see detail really well. They're smelling. So their their eyes are, are designed to, to find shapes and pick up movement. And that's where I feel the, the, the camel industry went. The majority of the industry went that direction. And, you know, back to the, the amount of hours that went into the development of ASAT as a pattern, that development was based on experiences with animals. It wasn't based on how it could be marketed or how it could look better to these, uh, you know, these potential consumers. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird thing, but you see that in a lot of different aspects of stuff that's older is, 
was that a more marketable product or was it a more effective product? And now with, with, the, with the, the communication that's available to you and me and everybody, I mean, things like this podcast, you know, I could be in Alaska and live off the grid almost, you know, if I had enough power to power a computer and had access to the internet, I can have a conversation with somebody in Florida about their experience in hunting. So hunters as a whole have a lot more ability to talk amongst other hunters. And there isn't a single better endorsement than a fellow hunter that's not being paid, that's not, that has no gain by, you know, telling you you should buy a product. You know, if I tell you you need to buy this type of a product to be successful, but I'm, I'm, getting gained from that i mean it, it, it's a biased opinion and, and a lot of a lot of hunters now are talking amongst hunters because even even within the hunting industry a lot of people are they're 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 getting a, a paycheck to, to promote a product and right. now as stuff has progressed you know hunters are seeing unbiased opinion as as a more truthful opinion about a product it's it, that's where the it's almost a resurgence in in the you know, in the popularity of, of, of our camel in, in ASAT camel. And, and we're seeing a significant growth in that regard. So. And I usually, I usually like to stay unbiased and out of, you know, not necessarily give my opinions, but one thing I will say is that if you look at brands like Mossy Oak or Realtree and you look at their, their visual marketing, like their, their pictures in magazines, I always like to tell people, Look where the point of view is from a tree stand hunter. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the actual like eye level. Now, a deer, the animal that you're hunting, is not going to be eye level with you. It, they're going to yep. be, you know, higher or lower than you. They're, and all that, it, it, yeah. And I, I, I agree. It's it was created for what I feel is the gullible hunter. Yep. Yep. And, and that's, I mean, those are all perspectives that a lot of people don't think about. You know, they flip right. the page open in a magazine and you're looking at a hunter from like a, a bird's eye view at eye level or, or from above and looking down. And, and those aren't the angles that a, an animal looks at you at. They, they're looking from the ground up. You have a backlit background if there's no leaves on the trees. And, you know, it's it's all perception if, if it's a cool photo that i mean that's kind of the thing that's going right now they put a lot of these newer camos in, in cool scenarios and in picturesque scenes where you know the the hunter's on a mountain ridge and he's walking with a bow in his hand and a rack on his back or something and you know that seems like that's kind of the the niche market right now that they're going for you know if that camel looks cool in that scenario I could see myself in that scenario, you know, being successful and right. whatnot. It's, it's, it's interesting, just marketing and the, 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 you know, without getting too deep, the, the psychological aspect of marketing is, is becoming more and more a thing now. So, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned it a little, a little while ago, but now we'll, we'll change gears and we'll go to, to this. The Sikkas of the world, the Kuyus, they have uh, kind of like 
it's a system. And it sounds to me like you have a system and you guys are getting ready to expand on that system as far as base layers and mid layers and, and all that stuff. Can you go ahead and um, talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with, uh, you know, with, with that breakdown, with, with how layering has become, you know, such a huge part of any system you go to is, you you expand on your your usable temperature range by layering, and you can expand on um, so much when you when you look at one of these systems. And you know, a lot of what's coming into the hunting industry started elsewhere. Um, and right now, a lot of the stuff that's available is 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 something that like mountaineering has seen for years, or you know, any, any outdoor oriented sport in inclement weather, you know, like skiing, for example, you know, layering while skiing has been huge because you're not relying on any one piece of gear to keep you warm. You can, you can self adjust to the environment that you're in. And I mean, hunting is a physical sport. It's a physically demanding sport that people enjoy. And as much as one layer over a base layer can make a huge difference depending on the amount of activity. And then, you know, hunting, it's a lot of moving and, 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 you know, with, with elevated heart rate and then it's a lot of sitting, you know, so you get fluctuation and by layering, you're going to maximize your comfort, you know, and having the ability to layer. So, so our layering system with ASAT is the current system that we've used um, uses a polyester-based layer for next to skin. And polyester is, is very, you know, very good at wicking moisture and very good at drying quickly. Um, it doesn't always have a lot of insulation value, depending on what it is. You know, a, a polyester that's like a fleece, like a brushed polyester, is going to trap air. But without a wind barrier within that, it's, it, the air is going to go right through it. So... Our next-to-skin layer is very thin. Um, you get into our extreme layer Zipmock or our um, our extreme layer vest. That kind of adds a insulation-based layer over your next-to-skin layer, and then you get into your soft shells and your rain shells and and stuff like that. And the ability to layer allows you to, to strip down to as much as a t-shirt when you're when you're moving when you're so you're hiking into a tree stand or you're hiking up a mountain to a glassing point, um, that's going to be good. But then when you get there, the polyester-based fabric is going to dry quickly and you're going to go um, throw your insulation layer on and then you can throw on your shell over that if you need to. So, right. um, I, can, I can speak from experience. I, in the past, had worn... Um, Predator camo, and I know a lot has changed with Predator camo recently. They're they're getting into um, a little bit of some a system as well. But this this past year was the first year that I ever wore, a, 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 I guess, gear that was designed for what we're talking about: the layering, the you know, the yeah. base layers, the <clears throat> mid, and the and. I can tell you it is a world of difference if you have – like because I used to be the guy who'd sit in a tree stand with like seven hooded sweatshirts on and one gigantic coat 
and it, you just feel like the kid from the Christmas story, you know, he's just walking <laughs> down the alley. So, so much clothes on, but this year I went to Sitka and, you know, like you said, the, the moisture wicking from the base layers to the next to skin layers and, and that kind of thing. And it, it makes a world of difference. You're wearing less clothes, but able to stay out longer. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's what a lot of people don't realize. I think that that still haven't maybe bought onto the concept or tried it. I can wear three layers, um, that are lighter to midway layers. And I'm typically good if I'm moving down to, uh, you know, probably 10 to 20 above. You know, you get into really cold temperatures like that, you need to, you know, keep in mind, keep your hands in gloves and wear a knit hat or or some sort of a neck gaiter or something because those are big areas where a lot of heat escapes. But having the ability to wear something like that and and move freely and and I mean people people normally would just throw on a big bulky jacket and it inhibits movement and it you know it doesn't allow you to you know there's no breathability to it and stuff like that and and it's so much nicer to wear wear three light layers and be equally as warm as wearing one heavy layer because the bulk is is taken down so much and especially when you're talking bow hunting you know you need to be able to draw your bow, find your anchor point consistently and, and be able to make that shot. And, um, all those things are easy to do when you're practicing, you know, in the summer or in, in the milder, you know, seasons and you're not, you're not wearing those bulky clothes. Well, that's huge when you, when you set foot in the woods, a lot of people don't practice when it's cold. I mean, why, why do you want to be outside with a, an aluminum bow in your hand? when it's, you know, 25 or 30 degrees. I mean, it, it's not comfortable, it's not fun, but too many hunters don't practice like that, and I feel like that bulk adds up and it ends up, you end up with, you know, you hear these horror stories, oh, my my bow caught on the zipper, or my the collar of my coat or something like that, because, you know, all in all, I mean, you're, you're there to, to, to have that stuff performed, so. Right. So let's get into a couple scenarios here where ASAT might be, I guess, certain products might work. And I know that um, – and then we can maybe get into some, some newer uh, some newer garments and even where – you know, wh- what's coming – I guess what's coming next from, from you guys. But let's, let's go ahead and let's start maybe out in some flatlands like uh, some – Early season, not you know, it's not terribly cold. Maybe even a little warm throughout the day. What garments would you recommend for for a hunter? You know, um, I'll try to put a scenario that I've hunted or experience that I've had with with a product that we sell, and that might help. But you know, I'll, I'll use uh, early season in Montana. We have an antelope season, and it starts in mid August if you commit to archery only. So when you when you look at that that time of year where we're at and we're, we're a, uh, a drier climate compared to a lot of what you see in the Midwest, but this would be something that would also work in a, in an early season tree stand type year or something like that. But our essential pant, it's, it's what it's called the essential or the essential G2 pant. Um, it's a 
It's a four-way stretch, polyester. It's got a DWR finish. Uh, it's super, super soft. It's going to be extremely quiet. Um, it almost feels like wearing like a pair of pajama pants. And and that pant is going to suit your your early season stocking, um, your early season tree stand, stuff like that. It's got just enough material. It breaks the wind if you're in a windier situation. Um, but it also breathes well enough to keep you, you know, from getting, you know, clammy or, um, you know, sweated out or anything like that. Um, and then with that, I would look at, um, you could look into our polyester base layer series or even our, just our plain t-shirts, you know, and we cater to the, to the blue car hunter as much as we do the, the guy that has to have the best of the best is, you know, we offer something kind of for everybody and, you know, in our in our new series, um, we have a merino wool system that we're coming out with. Now, we don't plan on doing a pant in this merino wool, but um, the tops, we've got a crew, a quarter zip, a quarter zip hooded, um, any one of those three. Uh, it's a 190 weight. It's a high micron, so it's a super fine wool fiber. There's There's no irritation or itchiness even with people that typically can't wear wool. Um, and that that system, it's going to be kind of at that premium level, and th- that will be available later this summer. It's, we call that our Bedrock Base Layer Series. And um, any one of those pieces, you know, if you prefer, like, something you can throw up over your head, if you do get a little wind, it keeps the wind off your neck, or if you just want a quarter zip, or if you don't like a zipper next to your skin, you know, we, we offer it in a crew as well. So. All right. So, so then adding on top of that, you know, now we start getting into some higher elevations, maybe some colder temperatures. What's the next step? Um, the next step you're, you're looking at, uh, um, on the top, you could, uh, there's, there's three pieces in our line that would, that would suit the next layer. Um, and of course, I'll back up here with the merino. The nice thing about the merino is you can actually layer that up. So, um, if you want the benefit of merino, which is uh, huge, if you haven't worn merino, it's unique in the aspect that it's it's going to keep you cool when it's hot. But if it's if it's cooler, it has this warming effect. It's almost like a, a self-regulating. You know, it, it regulates to your body temperature, and and it's gonna it's gonna do that. I mean, I, a lot of times I'll wear two or three lightweight wool layers on top. <clears throat> um, but in that midweight category, our extreme layer vest, our zip mock, which is a quarter zip pullover, and then we also have our highwood hoodie, and our highwood hoodie is a quarter zip hooded pullover. Um, again, for the guy that wants to add that technical hood Uh, you know when you put that up it looks you know it's got the small opening kind of it's born and bred from the mountaineering industry when you know climbers are ascending a a nice wall or or rock climbing in uh in cold conditions it it keeps keeps your body heat in it's going to break the wind um and then as far as on the bottoms go um that essential g2 is going to work equally as well and uh at least in my personal experience, my legs get don't get cold as easily as my upper body. So I would run that same or similar pant in that essential 
um, pants, but you can add a base layer underneath it if you're sitting. I've got an extreme base layer and then a lightweight base layer that are both polyester. One is a little heavier fleece material, so that's going to be better suited for tree stand hunting. And then the other one is a lighter weight polyester. It's going to wick really well um, and whatnot if you're if you're moving physically. And then, of course, in that Bedrock Base Layer series, we actually offer a, like a long underwear-style bottom base layer in, in the merino wool as well. Nice. All right, so the next one is now we're getting into some some cold, frigid temperatures or some really high elevation. Um, what do you got for us there? Well, when you get into situations like that, you're going to need some sort of a shell that's going to prevent, you know, the rain or sleet. It's also going to break the wind well. You know, you, you talk high elevation, you get up real high, you end up on a ridge well. When that air passes over that mountain range, it accelerates when it goes over a ridge. And anybody that's hunting in the mountains will know that when you get wind, it's always intensified when you're up high. So the higher you get, the more you're going to see that. Something like our lightweight bow hunter jacket, if it's not too late into the fall. Um, and that's a that's a good piece that, that I a lot of times will just throw that in my pack. And it's got a film. It's a, it's a two-layer material there's a face fabric and then there's a, a fleece lining in it and then it has a film in it and that film is what breaks the wind um it's it's going to prevent water from penetrating through to the inside layer and whatnot and it's not a waterproof jacket it's a water resistant jacket because it doesn't have fully taped seams and stuff like that what you'll find with that jacket if you're in a long storm is the water will start to penetrate through the seams through the stitching and um, I've been in, in rain, sitting in tree stands early in the season with that jacket. And, you know, a light rain, it's going to shed for quite a while. And then over time, you are going to start to feel it start to seep through. So, um, and then another piece that maybe looked at more so for, um, you know, maybe a tree stand hunter, a, a, a more inactive, you know, ambush type scenario the ultimate series that we make. It's the ultimate jacket and an ultimate pant. And it's basically similar to our bow hunter jacket, but it's on steroids. They bump up the amount of loft in the the backer. That's that's the inside part. And then it's more of a a fleece type outer. And then again this does have a film so it's gonna break the wind but I've I've used that um that those pieces late in the year in snow, um, I've used them both in hunting from a tree stand and also, you know, getting into a glassing point. Um, they're not the best because they are kind of heavy. If you're if you're hunting backcountry style, you know, you're you're hiking in a long ways because of the amount of weight with that garment. But they do, they, I mean, they they will keep you warm. So <clears throat> perfect. So, with these, are, are, do you have uh, a, an actual rain gear package? Right now, we don't. Um, in the in the past, we have offered kind of a packable rain gear set. You know, it, it stuffs into a little, um, you know, knapsack that's maybe the size of like a thirty-two ounce Nalgene bottle. You know, so it's it's like the size of a small Nerf football. 
but uh, we we had discontinued that, and we're kind of we're experimenting with a couple of things. And with this overhaul that we're going through, I've got more new products coming out in in pants. I've got a nylon pant that's going to be incredibly abrasion resistant when it comes to you know spot and stock style hunting. Now the drawback with nylon is it's harder to print, so it's hard to get that print perfect because it's a different printing process. So um, that takes a little bit of extra time, but also it's a little noisier because nylon is to be abrasion resistant. It has to be the right, um, you know, the right amount of, you know, blend and it's a nylon spandex or a nylon lycra blend and they call it a stretch woven design. So uh, that pant that we have coming out, I'm really excited for just because of the amount of walking that I do and the, you know, and for antelope, for elk, you know, in the timber, um, but like I said, the only drawback to something like that is is the noise that goes with that material. Yeah, yeah. Now, I see you have a 3D suit. Who who's that for? You know, um, I can honestly say that that's probably from a concealment factor. There isn't anything in the market that touches that, you know, with, with the exception of like a full military style ghillie suit where you're actually taking parts of the habitat around you and putting it, you know, basically sewing it into like a suit, you know, and everybody's seen those military type suits that use grass and, and different pieces of their surroundings when they build it. The, the, the leafy suit takes ASAT and, Basically, you add a 3D element, and you couple that with the ability for the, the leaves and whatnot to move. So, I, I carry one with me all the time. Um, I've hunted with them, and every year, I, I, I mean, I'm, it's proven itself time and time again. Now. The, the the person that that wants to use it wants to you know if you have a, a tree stand that deer walk out on and will constantly look up at because um, they busted you in it before that matriarchal doe or you know that that educated animal that knows to look for you you put that that 3D leafy suit on they may see something that's there but they're they're going to act differently than they, they normally would if you were wearing conventional camel. So I've hunted some uh, some farms in the Midwest with some close friends that, that have stands that, that they don't try to hunt very often because the does will walk out and they'll look up at that stand. And I'm like, well, why don't you hunt it? You know, I mean, if you've got a buck pattern and he's coming by, he's like, well, the does will walk by, they'll blow, they'll stomp, they'll do whatever. They don't smell them but they can see something is up there. Well, I, I've given them that 3D suit and, and said, here, try this. And he's said, holy, you know, his reaction after hunting it once was like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, like. Sounds to me like I someone needs to shoot some does. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they try to do. But, you know, you can never get all of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's always that one that comes out at 50 yards and she stares at you. And, you know, she's she's probably within effective range, but she's so on alert that, she, she you know, if you, if you, you know, look 
with the whites of your eye too quick to the left or to the right, she's going to spot that and run back in the woods and blow for the next half hour. Well, that's going to prevent any any mature whitetail buck from coming out under that spot. So, um, but time and time again, and you know, my highest emphasis on the leafy suit is, um, is with antelope. Now, if if a lot of people look at antelope as a species is, that's very difficult to archery hunt and they are, but nothing is impossible. And once you've done it a few times, you know, I've, I've had friends tell me, oh, I went and asked to get permission to bow hunt for antelope on this ranch. And the guy looks and kind of laughs and says, yeah, go ahead, you know. And and I think a lot of people have that perception with antelope because their vision is so good. But um, if, you, if you're very, very strategic at it and you know when to make the right move, you could definitely do it. I've I've killed an antelope, at least one antelope every year for the last... I want to say six years with a bow and um, up until recently, I didn't wear the, the leafy suit. Um, but in the last three or four years, I've used it almost exclusively and I get away with so much more when I'm wearing that leafy suit. Um, the little the, the 3d die cut leaves on it. If you get just the slightest breeze, will move. And I've been in the process of moving crawling to the next sage bush that's just tall enough to conceal me. And I've gotten busted in the wide open where, you know, a doe's at 75 or, you know, even less. They look at you. And in any other type of scenario, if I wouldn't have had that leafy seat on, that doe would have been staring at me. And everybody that's hunted with archery equipment long enough has been in one of those staring contests with a deer, uh, an elk, anything. And it seems like it's hard to win those because those animals have nothing but time. They have the most patience of anything. I've had more animals maybe catch a slight glimpse of movement, look at me, give me a 30-second or a one-minute or a two-minute stare, and then go right back to what they were doing. And it's, it's, it's completely floored me. It's changed how I hunt. I can be a little bit more aggressive. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not, it's not a magic concealment cloak. It's not going to completely, you know, you're not going to walk up on something. But you're coming out with that next year, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's in development, right? <laughs> in development, yeah. So. So now I want to talk to talk about the guy who is he's getting ready. You know, whether he's in the Midwest or the East Coast or a Western hunter or even in the South, he's getting ready. He's starting to do the research on what his next camo or gear, you know, his next camo pattern is going to be or the gear he's going to going to want to buy uh, for the upcoming season. Why should this guy or gal consider ASAT? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, really easy for me to answer. And, And I'll kind of, I'll backtrack a little and I'll say this is, most people think you need a camouflage that's specific to your region. And, and I'll, I'll say this, I'll say it's not as important as you'd think when you, when you look at where our brand grew up, where our pattern was developed, which was in, uh, in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area, 
to where it's 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 transitioned now. Um, it's it's a big it's a very very big it's a, it's a it's a it has a huge presence in the West. So ASAT as a brand is very very popular in the West, and a lot of people don't realize it when where it was developed, and it was developed in 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 big woods tree stand type situations. So, and when you look at the opportunities hunters have, um, Dan, would you say that, that hunters in the East have less hunting opportunity or, or more than hunters in the West? You know, that's a tough question, but I'm going to say, I would say less. Exactly. So hunters in the West have the ability to hunt more species. You can hunt antelope, mule deer, whitetails. Um, you have the ability to hunt a number of of species in the West, and and your seasons might not be as long as the East, but you're you're in cover that could be miles and miles of sage hunting antelope to dark timbered north side, you know, north facing slopes hunting elk, and these Western hunters. You know, it's it's very, very common to see Western hunters wearing ASAT. So you want something that's going to work a little bit of everywhere. You know, the, the, the ASAT got its name. A lot of people, you know, don't, you know, go back far enough to, to know this, but ASAT stands for all season, all terrain. So all season, all terrain, that means... You know, it wasn't designed to be specific for one area. We don't have a green pattern. We don't have a, 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 a desert pattern. We don't have a, you know, a, a timber pattern. It's one pattern for everything. And I can I can tell you, it, it, hunting from the ground, when I killed that deer in Indiana this year, I had an ASAT leafy suit on, and it worked flawlessly. I, I hunted out of trees while I was there. I wore... Um, you know, I was hunting with a climber. I was moving a lot, trying to get to these pinch points and, and, and get these deer, and it worked flawlessly from up a tree, you know. I've been with antelope on the on the prairie. I've been with elk in the in the timber. And I've found that this, this pattern works everywhere, and it works based on the animal's eyesight, not our eyesight. So what clashes to you and me, a guy wearing a shot that's in a green all like all pine forest clashes to your and my eyes. But when you, when you take a deer or elk or any type of animal that we pursue as hunters into, into perspective, you know, there's only, there's only, they don't see the, what we see. And there's only a couple animals too, that, that see better. And that's animals like a Turkey. Turkey can see an incredible amount of detail, just the bird kingdom in general. You know, they make, you know, ungulates like deer, elk, moose, and, and carnivores like ourselves, bears, wolves, they make our eyes look like a joke. They see in such precision. You know, people look at eagles and falcons and stuff like that. They're all part of the bird kingdom, and those animals see incredibly well. They use their eyes for everything. They don't have a sense of smell, you know. So a lot of people don't take that into perspective, you know, where... With a deer, they use their, their their nose to sense danger, and they use their nose to find food. 
you know, their, their eyesight is primarily to see movement. You know, something is not within, you know, the perimeter of being able to be smelled. They're looking for movement. They're not looking for detail. So I see here that you have, um, a trial period for your, for your camo. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yep, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, we, we stand behind our product so much that, uh, to my knowledge, we're the only, uh, camo pattern that offers this, but, uh, uh, any user that, that purchases uh, ACI camouflage from us, um, we basically, at the end of the season, if they don't feel like they they had an advantage over the previous camo that they'd had, we'll buy it back. So it's, uh, it's kind of a no-risk trial. And, uh, I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a guarantee like that unless we stood behind uh, the product that we have. So. Do you guys get a lot of returns on that? No. Um I've I've been with the company now for three years, and I think we've had one one or two, at most. Very very seldom do you see it. Um, and most most guys, you know that that uh, you know I think there's a lot of people that say, well, it's, it's I have no risk if I try this, and they try it, and you you don't know until you've tried it. Right. It's kind of what it comes down to, and I think that's what a lot of people. Um, that's, that's what a lot of people end up seeing is, is after one year of trying it, they're, they're a believer and, and our, our biggest endorsers or our biggest endorsees are the ones that, that are like you or me, that they're not getting paid money. They're not, you know, they're not on a, on a, on a sponsorship. They're, yeah. they're just hunters like me and you, you know, if, if you find something that works on your own accord, and you talk about it to a fellow bow hunter, your weight carries more than, than most endorsements do yeah. when it comes to comes to stuff. And that's that's why ASAT is where it is today. Yeah, that's I mean, bad. ASAT has never been a big marketer. We've never put a lot of money into marketing. It's all been word of mouth. And as, as hunters have, have really opened up communication-wise via forums and via, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I work for the company, so you don't have to believe what I say, but <laughs> if you go out there and look, there's more people that will defend ASAT in terms of its effectiveness on their own accord than any other camo out there. I can guarantee you that because we get success stories every year that sometimes I even have a hard time believing. You know, I, I, I had a, to give you an example, I had a, a young kid that was bow hunting this last year, he, he had a video on his uh on his iPhone and it was really crude. <clears throat> but it's 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 a it's a video of this buck and he's hunting from the ground and this buck is walking in and <clears throat> as this buck walks in, it walks on the downwind side of him. And this buck is so close when it gets his wind, when the buck jumps to run the kid flinches. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff. And every year, every year, as soon as hunting season starts, I start getting these testimonials that I, I couldn't even make up. And, you know, when it's on video like that, this, this deer is walking in and it's, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's not a, you know, a huge deer. And, and it's not like a 160 class whitetail. It's a, it's a two and a half year old but this deer is just kind of walking and <clears throat> looking around and 
it's it's vision, it's eyes scanning right past this kid twice before it walks by him. I think it thought it, he was a bush or a stump, but he didn't associate him with danger. And as soon as he got the wind, this deer was like full frame. You, I mean, you could barely get the, the deer's whole head and neck in the in the in the frame of the camera. When it jumped and took off, the kid flinched. It was it, it was it was so cool. Well, I tell you what, I think uh, the listeners got an education today, and you know, as far as information is concerned, they got a lot of it from you. And uh, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing that. No, absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, and uh, you know, this has been fun. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff with anybody. So I only have I mean, anybody... one. I only have one more question for you. Yeah, sure. And is that if I come out to Montana, are you going to take me antelope hunting? I could I could put you on antelope. Um, I can do everything but shoot your bow for you. <laughs> so um, if you if you plan to hunt and you wanted to come out, I could I could definitely uh, get you get you started and get you get you taken care of. I, I, I typically will set I'll set a few blinds. My wife likes to to get out and and hunt a little bit, and she likes to ground blind hunt. Uh, I get bored out of a ground blind, so I, I'm a spot and stock guy. But any time, uh, Dan, if you want to come out and just uh, let's let's start looking here soon and put something together. All right. <laughs> I'd love it. I tell you what, I uh, I missed an antelope at about oh 40 yards in Nebraska, uh, the very first time I've I ever hunted it, and uh, I tell you what, that is that is definitely an experience. I think anybody and everybody should should check out yeah they're they're one of my favorites for sure so well hey again thanks for coming on the show and i appreciate it that wraps up another gear podcast thank you guys very much for listening without you guys this doesn't happen well not necess- that's not necessarily true because i started it in my basement you guys are the reason I can tell my wife that I should keep doing it because I actually have people who are listening to it. So uh, if no one was listening to it, my wife would be like, hang it up and go clean the house. So basically this podcast is preventing me from having to vacuum and dust. And two of my two things I absolutely hate. I love vacuuming, but I hate dusting and I hate folding laundry. For some reason, those two things really piss me off. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. But ASAT giveaway. They are going to give away a pair of BDU pants. You'll have to go online and check them out. And a long-sleeve cotton tee. So BDU pants and a long-sleeve cotton tee. That's what's up for grabs in this week's giveaway. And uh, they are going to... I don't know, give that away to one winner, and that winner will be chosen next week sometime, probably maybe Wednesday of next week. And here's how you win. As always, like always, you need to share the Facebook post that mentions this ASAT podcast. Then you need to go to ASAT Camo's Facebook page, and in their comment section, Comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me, and uh, I'll check both places, and if you're both places, then uh, you'll be entered into the drawing. I'll choose one sometime next week, and uh, that's how you win. 
So hopefully everybody is having a great week so far. Just a couple more days till the weekend. Um, not sure if you guys are going to be out shed hunting. I got a couple deer that are still holding. I checked a trail camera this week, so uh, it might be worth uh, continuing to go out for a couple more weeks. And uh, that's about it. Not too much else to say except for wear your damn safety harness. 